Welcome to Imran's podcast, episode number 16. This is your host, Suman Silwal. It's not about the ride, really. it's about where you're going, what you're seeing on the route. Visit imruns.com to listen to previous podcasts, get discount codes, and links to the recent race photos. I'd like to welcome Brian King to Imran's podcast today. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing well. How was your 1,000-mile ride? That's all right. It was tough. I ended up having some mechanical problems right when I was leaving the neighborhood. So I had to turn around and wait until the morning when um, my good friend Craig Tamborello, who owns Brick Alley Bikes in Hoover, when he was able to come over and help me figure out all the problems. Um, but that actually turned out probably to be... I won't say a lifesaver, but but definitely an adventure saver. Because I was running so late, I decided to to chop off. Basically, it ended up being 175 miles shorter. So it only ended up being 825 miles. But I'm not sure I could have made the 1,000 miles because of the heat. It, it was way, way hotter than I thought it was going to be on that first day. I think if I hadn't chopped off those miles, I would have dug a hole that I couldn't gotten out of. So it turned out to be okay that I had those mechanical problems early on. That turned out to work out really well. But overall, it was a great adventure. I ended up going to um, uh, five states. So I started out in Alabama, went went up Mount Cheha, climbed the highest point in Alabama on the first day, R- rode up and over Cheha, um, made it all the way to Cartersville, Georgia. I think it's 185 miles, and uh, spent the night there, and then. Um, the next morning, got up early and rode, uh, it, was, it was almost the same distance, another 185 miles to Cherokee, North Carolina, and climbed Brasstown on the way, the highest point in Georgia. And then uh, the next day, climbed up Clingman's highest point in Tennessee, and made my way back down to the border of South Carolina. And on the last day, I started out by climbing up Sassafras Mountain, which is the highest point. South Carolina, and then made it all the way down to Augusta, Georgia, which is right on the border. Um, got a hotel there. I was only stopped for five hours and, you know, recharging devices, uploading rides at the hotel computer. I only got three hours of sleep and uh, and started again on the last bit at three in the morning, which was also really important because um, it got so hot in the afternoon. Over Over 100 miles into my ride by like um, nine o'clock in the morning and I only had 50 miles left when it just got ridiculously hot again but I struggled through that and made it so I was real happy so five states four state high points 825 miles in just over four days that's not a bad stat to be proud of yeah I'm, I'm, I'm real happy I made it I was I was uh, very happy when I saw the big bridge over the Savannah River back into Georgia talking about O'Reilly can you tell us about how did you start riding, how long you've been doing this? And you ride pretty fast, sounds like. Yeah, yeah. My path into cycling started with my dad. So he and some friends from his work would ride at Oak Mountain on the the main park road after after work. And so when I got old enough, they invited me to come along and I, I do some rides with them. And uh, then I kind of got out of it when I got into some junior high and high school sports. Later in high school, a couple of buddies of mine let me borrow a mountain bike and go mountain biking with them. And I was hooked. I love mountain biking in Oak Mountain. So I wanted to do uh, 
more cycling. So when I started to look at colleges, I looked at colleges that had cycling teams, and I ended up at Clemson University, raced on their team, and was doing mostly road biking by then. There wasn't as much mountain bike racing at the collegiate level. I mean, it was there, but just barely, like one one or two races a year. Um, and so mostly road races, and then just really Clemson, the upstate of South Carolina is incredible for riding. Um, there's just so much to explore. You're close enough to, I think that's where it's more the, the, the seeds of some more of my adventure type riding got, um, got planted there because you had to ride a little way to get up into the mountain. And, um, that was always just such a unique, like I am actually in the Smoky Mountains right now. And that was just such a cool feeling. You wanted to explore and ride everywhere from there. I went out to California to do grad school, get my PhD in computer science. And uh, I was actually at Davis, California. I think it's still rated the most bike-friendly country city in the country. And um, the reason for that is because it's tabletop flat. So it, it, anybody can ride a bike there. Um, and then, there's, of course, there's a lot of support in the community for it. So bike lanes everywhere, bike paths everywhere, and everybody rides. So uh, it just kind of builds on itself. But I was really kind of struggling my way through grad school. And so cycling kind of took a, a downturn for me. I didn't ride as much um, over that. Yeah, I think I was out there for six and a half years. Um, then when I got my PhD, moved back to Birmingham, I had more time to ride again. Started my position at Sanford teaching and, and just with the flexibility of my schedule, I was able to, to find more time to ride and just fell in love with exploring all over. But doing a lot of, of racing, like uh, USA Cycling Racing, you know, those aren't ultra races. So I did that for a number of years and then eventually switched over um, to doing more of the ultra type ride, starting with the 500 mile race that's held in Birmingham every year. Uh, I think this was the first year it hasn't been held. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to come back, but it's called the Heart of the South 500. And it had been going on for years and years. Um, and I did it in 2014 and then did it again in 2015. And that was really my kickstart into ultra riding. And then, of course, eventually doing Race Across America last year was just a phenomenal experience. How was that experience riding across the USA? That, that was that was a great experience. There, there was so much to learn about how that race works, the route, sleep deprivation. And I learned a lot, so I'm happy. I mean, I'm excited to do it again next. I'm planning on doing it again next year, training and planning for it and getting everything ready. But I think next year I'll be able to enjoy it a little bit more. This ride to Savannah from Birmingham, it really had a lot of the similarities to Ram. Um, I noticed, you know, in terms of physical pains you go through and things you have to work through, mental issues you struggle through, like, I'm never going to get there, <laughs> you know, as, uh, as you start riding slower and slower, you just have to tell yourself, no, you're eventually going to get there. You just have to keep going. It sounds like some of the ultra races that I do you know, for a hundred mile race. And so you just have to keep on going until you see the finish line, I guess. Just keep on going and, um, and look for smaller markers. I, and I really struggled with that on this particular ride. I'm usually good about that because my rides are more, I don't know when they're a loop or when I have a specific, specific thing. This ride, this, this ride to Savannah 
um, I found myself with long stretches where I wasn't sure what was in between. You know, like new roads I'd never been on. And I didn't know any of the distances because, I mean, just, I just had a lot going on and I didn't get to study the route as much as I wanted to, to know what to expect. So I found myself just looking at the mileage instead of like, okay, there's a state park coming up in 10 miles. And rather than thinking of, oh, I still have 150 miles left to ride today, just focusing on that 10 miles. Because the, the nice thing about that is once you finish that 10 miles, instead of 150 miles, you only got 140 miles left. And, you know, if you have enough of those smaller benchmarks that you're you're looking towards, you know, it makes the day go by so much faster. Let me yeah. ask you about this uh, ultra riding. Do you do those on a one-day settings or one settings or broken apart? This is a first for me. Almost all of my training for RAM last year, Race Across America last year, I did in kind of the one-day setting. I do a big loops. And I really got to explore all over Alabama. I kind of made it a goal to visit as many counties as I as I could. Um, I pretty much hit like the top two thirds of the state. I got all the counties, uh, but I do it as a big one day loop. And that was a little bit of a mistake for Ram, be- simply because um, when you're doing a big 300, 350 mile ride, you know you're completely wiped out. And then as far as training goes. I would normally do something much smaller or not ride at all the next day. And I think as far as training goes, um, it's better to do the shorter, say maybe 200 mile distances day after day after day. Um, Cause that really builds up that mental endurance that you need. You know, if you've got one day of 300 miles, you can just push through that. Um, but when you're four days in, and um and your body is just killing you it's nice to you know to to know what that feels like ahead of time that's that's what i found in ram was just that you know i was surprised by how much my hands and feet hurt three days into the race because that didn't happen in any of my training because i could always recover after a big 300 mile ride but in ram you do 300 miles one day and you got to come back and do it again the next day and i didn't have that preparation last time so that's one of the things I'm going to change uh, this time. Let's switch the topic a little bit. Not long ago, you had a big accident here in Birmingham, and you went through a lot of physical therapy and everything else to come back from that accident, and now you, you're riding a lot. How does that whole journey work for you? I know it was very painful just to watch you on the Facebook. Sure. First, first of all, in the accident, I was very, very lucky. Um, it could have been much worse. In fact, it had a very bad concussion, so I don't remember anything from the accident. My first memory is in the hospital telling a police officer who I think was trying to get my statement or something in the hospital bed. Uh, my first memory is telling him I don't remember anything. <laughs> and that's my first memory from from before the accident to after the accident. Um, and I still, nothing has come back either. I don't remember anything from the accident. But but when I woke up in the hospital, my my left leg was in a lot of pain and I thought you know nobody had told me anything or I wasn't aware of anything so I thought I had broken my leg pretty bad um but as it turns out I hadn't I'd done something to the inside of my knee but that healed itself so I was very very fortunate that turned out better than it could have but the the thing that I had to go through was my jaw I I hit my face I think on the car and then on the curb 
And so I cracked my head open and the um, I broke my jaw in several places. The hard thing about that was they had to wire my jaw shut, you know, and, and as tightly as it was wired shut, I couldn't breathe. You had to breathe through my nose. That was it. it was just through my nose. And that made the training hard. I was only off the bike for 11 days. My wife actually suggested that I, I hop on my mountain bike and ride behind her as she ran. So we did that that day and then the next several days. But each day I tried to double the distance and that worked out well. You know, I was able to do that for several days. Um, and then eventually I was like, well, as long as I don't go too hard, you know, I can, I could essentially ride again as long as I wanted to. And I started doing the big four hour, five hour, six hour rides again. Which is hard because this is summer. By this point, it was summer in Alabama and um, just ridiculously hot, and I couldn't eat anything. So what I ended up doing was was stopping at McDonald's, Sonic, Starbucks, and just getting their frozen anything I could sip through a straw because you know my my jaws were wired shut, so I had to have nutrition just through the, the straw. So I was I was actually very fortunate in that biomechanically, I, I I came out of that accident relatively unscathed, and I, I mean I mean I'm sure some of that was was luck, but also I do drink a ton of milk, <laughs> like a ridiculous amount of milk. So I, I guess I would like to think that that, that is, there's a lot of calcium in my bones, um, so that might have helped some. So how long did it take you to completely recover from this accident? Well, from the accident, I guess my jaw was wired shut for almost two full months. But by the end of that, the very first day I had the wires off and I could breathe again, I went for a KOM. I mean, I was so physically I was I was able to I was back to normal um, by that point. So that was about two months. And because I was able to continue riding, even with my jaw shut, I just had to ride really easily. You know, mentally, I, I didn't have to struggle with what I know some people have had to struggle with. Like they're so used to riding all the time, or I guess for running, you, you know, they're used to running all the time. And then all of a sudden you can't run. Well, that, that plays tricks on you, um, mentally. I was very fortunate. I only had to deal with that for 11 days and then I could get riding again. All this that you have gone through, can you talk about this open road riding? Because people like us, we do have a bicycle, but I'm, I'm scared of going out and ride the bicycle. Yeah. I mean, one, it helps to find the rural roads. Um, I mean, living in basically the heart of Hoover, Vestavia, um, the best you can do is, is, is get into some of the neighborhoods. Of course, that's where my accident happened, but the neighborhoods tend to, you know, traffic is, is less. The speeds that the cars are going is slower. The speeds that you're going are, are usually slower, you know, as a biker. Um, so, that helps finding the good routes like that. And, and I usually try to make that a challenge too. The, the thing that you have to, th there's a, there's a trick though in Birmingham. The flatter the road is, the more traffic is on that road. It's just, it's just the case. The bigger roads, the arterial roads go through the valley. So if you're going to find these lesser traveled roads, you've got to be ready to climb a ton. And of course I love it. I love all the hills and climbing and, and all that. Um, so that, that helps. Now, of course, outside of Birmingham, that's not necessarily the case. The other parts of the country, you know, you can find rural roads that are, that are much, that are nice, that are not really hilly. Um, but the tricky part in Birmingham is you end up on a hill. Um, but things that I do to help with safety, um, I wear a backpack. Um, 
I actually, that was not the first time I got hit by a car. I got hit by a car back in 2006, I guess it was. Yeah, that summer. A car, <laughs> car ran into me. This, this was nuts. A car ran into me head on. I was coming straight on the main road and I had the right of way for sure. And he was turning left across the main road into a gas station. And he says he never saw me. I never saw him either because he was going fast. Um, but when he hit me, he hit me pretty much head on, and I did a, a flip 360 degrees through the air, um, completely over his car, and because I had a backpack full of clothes on, I actually ended up landing on that backpack and rolling into a standing position, and I had no scratches on my body, and the bike was you know, completely trashed. Another advantage of that backpack, you do have a little bit of cushion if you fall, but another thing is you can, you can attach, and this is what I do, I attach like some of those armbands and wristbands that I, you know, the reflective bands and all that, you can attach that to the backpack, and while you're riding, that's kind of up high, and it's waving around a lot in the wind, so there, there's a lot of visibility associated with that, and especially at night. Of course, I have the lights on too at night, but but during the day and then even onto the night, you still have the, all that reflective stuff on, uh, you know, day glow green. That really helps around Birmingham. A new thing that I just got is the Garmin Berea rear radar light. And so it's a little light that attaches to your seat post and it has a radar inside it and it detects very accurately whether cars are coming up behind you. It does two things. One, it, it beeps on your Garmin to let you know that there's cars coming, as well as showing you the position of the car by a little dot. And, you know, it can track, I think, on the very, some of the very busy roads I ended up on on the way down here. I think I saw like six or seven cars. Um, you could see them as little dots lined up. Um, but at the same time, when it detects a car coming, it goes into its really bright flashing mode. So normally, you know, to save battery, it's just in a normal flashing mode. But when a car comes, it lights up. I think it goes solid for a little bit and uh, lights up. And it really, I believe, of course, I only know it from the cyclist perspective, but I believe a motorist um, behind you is really able to see that because it seemed like everybody was giving me tons of room on this trip. And I'm guessing that's because they had, they could see my bright light and all the effort I was making to be visible. They were kind of returning the favor by being cautious and courteous around me. So that that helps a lot. And and situational awareness as a cyclist, I mean, definitely I never listen to music or anything while I'm riding. I'm always kind of thinking about um what's around me. And you know, when it's rural, of course, I, I'm I'm totally into the nature, the the scenery and the vistas and taking pictures, everything. I'm I'm you know, I'm I'm totally into that. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, there's a cross street coming up. There could be a car there. There's a, you know, one of the games I like to play is, is where does the traffic go? And, you know, while I'm riding. And so if I know an intersection is coming up, I try and, and guess which percentage of cars, um, are going to go which way, you know, based on the busyness of the roads and, and just having that kind of knowledge about roads and what cars are likely to do um, can really help. And so, you know, I guess my recommendation is, you know, is, is starting out with roads you're really familiar with, um, finding those quieter roads, and then getting the confidence um, 
and then, you know, moving on out and kind of expanding your range as you get more and more experience with how to connect different parts of town, different different cities together. The Chipo Diga, Alabama, that is a great resource. And we've done a lot of brainstorming recently on rides. We, I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen or when it's going to happen, but we can get that Chipo Diga to connect all the way to Birmingham. That is some really fun riding. You could ride safely off the road for miles and miles and miles. You do ride for the charities, correct? Yes. Can you talk about a little bit about the charity rides? Sure, sure. Um, with Race Across America last summer, we raised money for Nuevas Esperanzas, which is a, an NGO, a nonprofit organization in uh, Nicaragua that works with communities that are on Nicaragua is, is part of the Ring of Fire, so it's where the Pacific Plate meets the um, Atlantic Plate, I believe, or Central American Plate, um, and lots of mountains, lots of volcanoes, and so a lot of the communities that are on the sides of the volcanoes have struggled with water access. So a lot of um, Nueva Esperanza's work is 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 dealing with you know, rainwater harvesting um, and and uh, access to water for these um, uh, communities. And um, this particular organization is you know, near and dear to my heart, as, as is the whole country of Nicaragua, because my wife um, was uh, volunteering there when I met her, and so you know, so we just kind of had that connection have stayed connected with that particular organization throughout the years. Also, another organization that I am involved with a lot or have been helping my good friend Michael Staley and Wes Bates, getting them, um, you know, supporting them as much as I can with route planning and training and everything. They are involved with the Hope for Gabe Foundation, which is a foundation that is helping to raise money to to for research into a cure and medicine for Duchenne's disease. It's a boy, Gabe Griffin, in um, uh, Chelsea, Alabama, who has Duchenne's disease, and uh, his father is championing this cause. And through Michael, I've gotten involved, and I'm really happy that they're going to be coming through Alabama at the beginning of August. So they're riding all the way from Maine to Mobile. And they're doing it in 11 days, 200 miles a day is what they are, are going to average. And I'm planning on joining them for the last two days. And that leg is from Huntsville all the way down to Hope Hole, south of Montgomery. And then the last day um, from Hope Hole, the rest of the way down to Mobile. I've gotten involved with that organization and helping them out. Ron, are you ready for a sprint round? Uh, I'm ready. I don't know what that is, but I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. What type of bicycle do you have? Trek. Do you do any mountain biking? Yes, I have a specialized uh, mountain bike, jump jumper mountain bike. What type of GPS device do you use? A bunch. <laughs> I have a Garmin 1000, a Garmin 800. Um, I run them both because when you have these ultra, ultra long distances, a lot of times you can overflow the memory. And I have lost huge chunks of data because of that. So I always have two devices now. Um, one with a backup for one to, you know, to make sure that I get the ride. What type of uh, online resource do you use to track your rides? Do you use Strava or anything like that? Strava, definitely. Strava is probably the primary um, 
usage. There's a, a corollary website called VeloViewer, which has some interesting stats um, that's tied into your Strava account. I've also created several websites for tracking stuff. Um, I've only, I'm pretty sure it's still the only website in the world for this. The, the di2 stats.com website that I created that. And I'm pretty sure that's the only place you can actually view your di2 data. Shimano hasn't created one and Strava and none of the, none of the sites have picked up on that yet. Um, I'm sure there'll be new sites soon, but <laughs> I created it in 2014 and I'm doing it as part of research, my academic research, trying to, trying to uh, collect data on shifting and I've got a bunch of users. Uh, I think I've got between a thousand and well, that was months ago, last time I checked. So probably about 1500 different users. And most of those are not active. They upload like maybe one ride or two rides. Um, and then they don't upload anything again. But, um, but I, there's probably over a hundred people who use that site regularly. What is your fastest century to ride? Fastest century ride? Um, it's actually in a race, two loops of a 55 mile lap. I got into the break. I ended up third in the race. And the four of us that were in the break ended up doing that 110 miles. I, I don't remember the exact time, but it was well under four and a half hours. I mean, it was well over 25 miles an hour. As far as like the actual 100 miles, it probably would have been, um, we'll just say four and a half hours. That's fast for me. That is fast for me too. I don't think I've ever come close to that again. Like a, as far as like a regular century ride goes, I've had a couple sub five, but not many. Um, normally it's just a slower pace, just, just having fun. What is your favorite place to ride you? Oh, that is, that question is getting tougher and tougher to answer as I've ridden more and more places now. But I mean, I just love to ride everywhere. My, my, my default answer to that is always Birmingham because I, I feel like the place where you ride the most should be the place that you love the most. And uh, and I try and do everything I can to find new and cool places to ride, roads to ride, explore in Birmingham. But I'd have to say that the Smoky Mountains, anywhere from North Georgia, upstate South Carolina, western North Carolina, eastern Tennessee, well, really even all the central part of Tennessee. I just love to ride everywhere, man. <laughs> it's hard to pick a favorite. It's the wrong question for you, I guess. <laughs> Are you up and ride or down the race? There's a lot of people on Strava who know me through like all my KOMs, all the climbing challenges. I I like to climb, but nowhere near as much as I like to descend. So I'm I'm more of the 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 downhill um, kind of speed freak kind of guy. Um, it's the the only thing is is in order to do that, you have to climb to get there. And so to me, it's all kind of tied together. You know, I love doing the climbs simply because I can then do the descents too, you know. What type of hydration plan do you use for your rides during the hot day summer? During the hot day in the summer, one of the things that I, this ride really showed me is uh, those, those polar bottles are fantastic. You get some ice and, um, and, you know, I, I put two of those in my bottle cages and I just plan on stopping at gas stations. And that helps because each time you stop, you get out of the sun for a little bit. And, of course, I also try and find as shady a route as possible. That's real important. The more rural it is, I mean, you can a lot of times you can go on whichever side of the road the shade is. And I, I definitely employ that strategy when it's really hot. Um, I call that chasing the shade. Is there a place that you have not ridden that you like to go out and ride? My wife's from the Midwest, so I've ridden a lot up there. Uh, I've ridden, I mean, it's been six and a half years out in California, so I've ridden out there. 
I guess the Northeast, the only place I've ridden in the Northeast has been Massachusetts. And um, some gr- there was some great riding there, for sure. But I would like to explore more of the Northeast, um, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire. I'd probably go up and do that Green Mountain stage race as a Masters at some point. Before we conclude uh, this interview, can you give us a word of advice to people who want to ride, uh, people runners like us who, who should be riding? Just speaking from my experience, the funnest rides are the rides where you actually have, it's not about the ride really, it's about where you're going and what you're seeing on the route. Um, one of my favorite things to do is fire towers. Um, so a lot of times you, you try and find a fire tower to climb or, um, you know, to, to, to go and you kind of have that as a destination. Um, and the focus isn't as much on the riding as the scenery around you and where you're going. Um, so that that really helps with um, the uh, you know making the miles go by faster and just makes the whole process more enjoyable. I think a lot of people, especially if you're coming from a running background and you haven't ridden much, um, running doesn't. As far as I can tell, running doesn't have like an easy gear. <laughs> you know, when you're running, um, it's a hard effort. Well, the nice thing about cycling is you can go easy while you're biking. And so a lot of people end up trying to ride too hard, you know, get burnt out because of it. But if you if you just take your time, have some fun, you know, there's still places you can go fast and, and ride fast. Just don't make that the whole ride, you know, have sections that are fast, sections that are slow. And that's just that variety just really makes it interesting. Sounds like great advice. And I should be listening to this. Thanks for your time. Hopefully we'll see you somewhere ride. Thank you. This is great. This is fun. Thank you for inviting me to be on the show. 